Uh, good morning. Um, well, uh, preachers are a weird group of people. Uh, maybe you know that already. Um, but one of the things that makes us weird uh, is that just like most of us have um, athletes or musicians or, or some other celebrity that we idolized and looked up to and wanted to be like when we grew up, uh, as preachers, we have other preachers that we idolize and look up to and want to, want to preach like when we grow up. And so uh, for a wedding gift, Braylon emailed one of my favorite preachers and asked him, I just told him, hey, how influential he had been uh, in my life and asked if he would write me a letter that she could give to me. Uh, and so he did that. And so she gave me this letter from him uh, as a wedding gift the day before our wedding. And it's a, a really meaningful uh, gift to me. Uh, but as great as that gift was, and uh, as cool as it was to get a personalized letter from him, uh, even with that, I still know and feel that there's this great distance between us. Now, I, I don't feel close to him at all, even though I've, I've read that letter, and I've uh, listened to hundreds of his sermons, and I've read his books, because the reality is that we are not close. Uh, we have no relationship at all. I don't know him, and I promise you, he does not know me. If I were to go to his church and say, hey, do you remember me? You wrote me that letter six or seven years ago. Do you want to go out and get lunch like old times? I, he'd, he'd probably say, no, I, I don't remember you, and I think I'm busy, like forever. Uh, we're, we're not going to do that. And so even with that letter, I, I still know and feel that there's this great distance between us, and, and I think for many of us, at least at different points in our lives, we view our relationship with God this way that there's this great distance between us and God. There's this barrier of intimacy that, that we're just not going to be able to cross and that all God has done is really given us a, a long list of rules and instructions on how to behave and how to follow his rules and that's really all we can know about him. That's as close as we can get to him. Well, the, the good news this morning is that, that Christmas tells us that's not the story of Christianity at all that God actually did the exact opposite, that God so wanted to be close with us that he came himself, that God so wanted to be close to us that he didn't just draw near to us, he actually became one of us. Matthew 1 puts on display the glorious truth that Jesus is God with us to save us. And so let's see this together in the text now. Matthew chapter 1 uh, we're going to read verses 18 through verse 25, starting in verse 18, the word of God to us today. This is now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray for God's help on our time together this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of Christmas that this passage puts on display. Thank you that in Jesus we have God with us to save us. Jesus, thank you that you have come to be the Savior, to fulfill this promise, to draw near to us. God, as we walk through this text, would you just give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you refresh all of our hearts in the good news of the gospel this morning? Would you help us to see with with clarity how the good news of Jesus makes us so different from every other religion? Would you put your grace on display so that we might believe it and rejoice in it and walk in it? God, give us grace in this moment to just see and believe how good you are and how much you love us. I pray that you would. In your name, amen. Again, this text shows us that Jesus is God with us to save us, and it shows us that in two ways. The first way it shows us is that Jesus is the Son of Mary who is our Savior, And basically, as soon as this text starts off, uh, it gets weird, because verse 18 tells us that when Mary and Joseph were betrothed or engaged, before they had come together, that means before they had slept together, Mary was found to be pregnant with a child. Now, I don't know what your biology class taught you in high school, uh, but my biology class taught me that it does not happen this way. And you can see that this is the case in verse 19, because when Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant, what does he logically assume? Well, I haven't slept with her, and so she must have cheated on me and and slept with somebody else. And so Joseph is considering what to do about this, because back then betrothals or engagements were a a lot more significant to them than they are to us today. Uh, Back then, betrothals were a year long, and they were official and legal. You were considered as good as husband and wife, uh, even though you weren't officially married yet, and you weren't supposed to sleep together yet. This is why the text calls Joseph Mary's husband, even though uh, they're not yet officially married. Uh, And because a betrothal was legal and official, to break up a betrothal or to break one off, you had to get a divorce. And so as Joseph is considering what to do about this, this is what he decides to do. He's a good man. He's a just man, and he doesn't want to bring further shame on this woman that he believes has cheated on him. Uh, And so he decides that he's just going to divorce her quietly. You know, he doesn't want to go on Facebook and blast her for cheating on him. He just wants to cut his losses and move on. But, but as he's deciding to do that, an angel appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid. Mary did not cheat on you. The baby that is in her is from the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to take her as your wife. And, and it makes sense that the angel would say this to Joseph because think about the shame that it, this is going to bring to both Mary and Joseph if they go ahead with this marriage. Uh, By the time they have the wedding ceremony, Mary is definitely going to be showing. And so word is going to get out either that they slept together before they were supposed to or that Joseph is not the father. And who's going to believe the truth that Mary is giving birth to God? You cannot use that excuse at parties. I mean, can you imagine if somebody asks, like, hey, is it going to be a boy or a girl? And they have to respond with, well, 
uh, it's going to be a boy, and an angel appeared to me and also said he's going to be God. You can't do that. You can't say that, right? And so in the face of all of this potential shame, Joseph still obeys the word of the Lord through the angel. And verses 24 and 25 tell us that he takes Mary as his wife and he names Jesus Jesus when he is born. Now, the, the Bible is just stacking all of this up to show us just how pro, improbable and miraculous all of this is. Because people back then were not stupid. Everybody knew that virgins do not get pregnant. They knew that this does not happen. Because this has never happened. Because even the miraculous births in the Old Testament, like Abraham and Sarah having Isaac when Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100 years old, even there, God gave them the power to conceive, but they still slept together and then conceived Isaac. But that's not what happens here with Mary. Because it's not like the Holy Spirit sleeps with Mary either. There's nothing sexual about this. That's kind of the whole point, that she remains a virgin. No, here instead, the Holy Spirit forms and creates the humanity of Jesus in Mary's womb just like he formed and created the first creation in Genesis chapter 1. I mean, this is a total miracle. And one of the major reasons that God chose to do it this way, through a virgin conception and birth, is that it shows us that we can't save ourselves. It shows us that if we are going to be saved, God has to do something about it. It shows us that we can't fix what's broken in us with a little bit more education, or with a little bit more self-improvement, or with a different politician in the White House, or with another advancement in technology. It shows us that we don't just need another podcast or another self-help book. We don't just need more knowledge. We have more knowledge than any other point in human history, and we can Google everything else we don't know and have the answer in 10 seconds, and it still hasn't fixed what's broken in us. It still hasn't set us free from the sin that is in us. We don't just need to be educated. We don't just need to be improved on. We need to be saved. We need to be delivered. We need to be rescued. And that's why this is such good news because verse 21 tells us that Jesus is not just a teacher. He's not just a leader. He's a savior. The angel tells Joseph to name their son Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. The, the Greek word for Jesus here is a translation from the Hebrew word that means God saves. And so the angel's telling Joseph to call Jesus, Jesus, or God saves, because that's who he is and that's what he's going to do. He's going to save his people from their sins. Now, if you don't really think you're all that sinful, if you don't see your own sin as your biggest problem, this doesn't mean that much to you. But for those of us who recognize how sinful and broken and needy we are, Christmas brings the best news. Because notice in the text, it does not say to call him Jesus because he, he might save his people from their sins. Or to call him Jesus because he's going to try to save his people from their sins. Or to call him Jesus because he's going to possibly save his people from their sins. No, he says call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All you need to be saved by Jesus is your need. And if you will realize that you actually are needy, 
that you actually are sinful and cannot save yourself and you will come to Jesus, Jesus will actually forgive you of your sins. Jesus will actually set you free from them. Jesus will save you from them. He really will. He won't just attempt to do it. He won't just give it his best try. He will save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus because his name is preaching to us what he's going to do. So Jesus, he's the son of Mary who is our Savior, but the text doesn't just tell us that. It also tells us that Jesus is the Son of God who is God with us. Look again at the text in verses 22 and 23 with me. It says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew says all of this, this virgin conception and birth is happening to fulfill the promise of Isaiah 7.14, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and that son will be Emmanuel, or God with us. And this is uh, the truth of Christmas. This is the glorious message of Christmas that we celebrate, and, and this is what makes us different from every other religion. This is what's known as the doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus, who is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, who is and always has been God, took on our humanity and became truly and fully human and lived a full human life, all while remaining fully God. That Jesus is one divine person with two natures, divine and human. So that in the coming of Jesus, he fulfills the promise of Isaiah 7.14 because in the coming of Jesus, God himself is truly with us. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time together is just spend some time meditating on the truth of this text, that Jesus is God with us to save us, and just spend some time meditating on why this is such good news and why we celebrate this. And so first, the, the incarnation and the virgin birth, it, it shows us that Jesus is not just a great prophet who tells us how to find God. He is God come to find us. You see, if Jesus was just a mere man, if that's all he was, then all he could do is stand on the ground beside us at the bottom of the ladder and give us tips and advice on how to try to climb up the ladder and make our way back to God. All he could do is just give us an example of what it looks like to try really hard to ascend the steps to make our way back to God. And listen, if you're in here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're just kind of checking this stuff out, I want you to know that is not Christianity. Way too often, Christianity has been presented as something that's all about you, about you trying to morally clean up your life, about you getting religious, about you jumping through enough hoops to, to try to clean yourself up and be acceptable to God, and Jesus is just a good example of how you do that. He's what a, a good, faithful man looks like, and you follow in his example. Because that's what every other religion teaches. Every other religion teaches that if you want to find favor and acceptance with God, you've got to work for it. You've got to qualify yourself for it. You've got to jump through enough hoops. You've got to clean yourself up enough. You have to be religious enough. And maybe if you can do that, you can climb the steps high enough and make your way back to that God. 
But that's not Christianity. Christianity is so different, and the incarnation and the virgin birth shows us this. It is so different because Christianity, in Christianity, God saves His people by grace. He bestows His favor on people as a gift. People who were not looking for it, who had not done enough to earn it, who had not gotten religious, who had not cleaned up their lives enough. I mean, God came into the world through a virgin. That means that he brings his salvation into the world completely on his own, with no help from us. Jesus being God with us means that Jesus is not a prophet at the bottom of the ladder showing us how to make our way back to God. He is the God at the top of the ladder who came down from heaven to come and save us. That's the message of Christmas. That's the good news that God is gracious to the weak and to the undeserving. This truth of Jesus being God with us, uh, it also means that you can absolutely know that God loves you. And this is great news because salvation, it's not just about getting your sins forgiven and getting to go to heaven when you die. Salvation is about getting God being brought back into life and fellowship and relationship with God. And if Jesus is not God, he can't bring us back to God. He's on the outside of God's life looking in on it just like we are. Uh, and so he, he can't help us at all in that. Uh, but, and, and so if Jesus was just a mere man, if that's all he was, to borrow an illustration, to talk about him loving us and saving us, It would be like me getting up here every week and saying, hey, here's the good news. George Washington and Mother Teresa, they really love you. You'd be like, okay, I mean, that's nice, I guess, but so what? I, I got out of bed for this? But since Jesus really is God and he loves you, you can know that God, like the actual God of the universe who created all things, and rules over all things, and holds all things in his hands, that that God loves you, and has moved to save you, and has opened up his arms, and opened up his life to bring you into that life, so that you could actually know God, and you could actually have life and fellowship with God. Jesus being God with us, it also frees us up from this bad idea we get sometimes, that that, yeah, maybe Jesus loves us, but Jesus is kind of like God Jr., and, and the real God in heaven, He kind of just puts up with us. He keeps us at arm's length uh, because he kind of got roped into this. His hands are tied. He doesn't really want to, but he has to uh, because Jesus died for us. Uh, Almost as if Jesus and God the Father are two different gods and Jesus is this lesser God, but that's not the case. They're not two different gods. They're one in will and essence and character. Jesus is is not God Jr. He's truly and fully God. And so, to borrow a great phrase, there's no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. There's no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. God is just like Jesus, so there's not a meaner, angrier God behind Jesus' back that Jesus is trying to convince to, please love us. Please give them a chance. There's not a bigger, meaner God behind Jesus' back that he's trying to appeal to. No, when you see Jesus, when you get Jesus, you're seeing God. You're getting God. 
And not just that, not only in Jesus do we, do we know that God loves us, but we also get to know and see what God is really like. See, God's mercy and love and grace, these aren't just kind of abstract ideas. Jesus puts flesh on them and he shows us what God is really like. If there's no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus, if God is just like Jesus, then you can look at how Jesus interacts with and treats people in the Gospels and know that's how God the Father is going to interact with and treat you. And so when you see Jesus being merciful and compassionate towards sinners who cry out to him in the Gospels, you can know that when you cry out to God in brokenness over your sin, that you're going to be met with that same mercy and compassion. When you see Jesus weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus who has died, even though he knows he's about to raise him from the dead, you can know that when you cry out to God in your suffering and hurt and pain, that he's not going to respond by just telling you to toughen up and get over it. When you see Jesus turning 150 gallons of water into wine at a wedding, you can know that God is not a lousy grouch who wants to take joy away from you he wants to give you so much joy in him that you overflow with it. And when you see Jesus telling the story of the prodigal son who runs away from the house and blows up his life with his sin and comes back home to his father a mess and his father meets him with welcome and with a party, you can know that when you come home to God in your sin, you are not going to be met with crossed arms and a lecture about how you should have known better you're going to be met with grace and with welcome and with a party. There's no God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. When we see Jesus, we learn what relationship with God is really like. But not just that, Jesus being God with us, because Jesus is fully God and fully man, one person who exists in two natures. It means he lived a fully human life, so God is not cold and distant from your experiences. He really knows what it's like because he's really experienced it as a man. I mean, think about how when you're going through a, a difficult time or you're trying to make a difficult decision, how the wisdom and the counsel that you most value uh, is from someone who's already walked in your shoes. Right? I mean, for example, God forbid, but if you were to have to walk through something as devastating as the loss of a child, it would be one thing to talk to people who haven't ever, haven't ever suffered a loss like that, and they could tell you, you know, theoretically how to glorify God in your suffering and what it looks like to trust Jesus and trust that he's good uh, in the midst of all of this. But I think all of us know it just wouldn't carry as much weight as getting to talk to somebody who has experienced that sort of devastating loss and who knows by experience what it looks like to glorify God when we suffer and trust and cling to Jesus and cling to the truth that he is good when a bomb like that explodes your entire life. This is why we all laugh, or at least we should laugh, at couples who write a book on marriage in their second or third year of marriage. And I wish I was making that up. That happens. Um, because all of us, besides them, know that they just don't have the wisdom that comes from experience. All of us know how much we crave the wisdom and counsel and help of someone who has already walked in our shoes. And Jesus being God with us means that in Jesus, God has literally 
not just metaphorically, walked in our shoes. He has really experienced it. He has not just read about it in a book somewhere. He has lived it. Are you lonely? Jesus was betrayed by his closest friends at the time when he needed them the most. Have you been betrayed? Jesus was betrayed by a man who was one of his closest friends who had walked intimately with him for three solid years, and that betrayal got him put to death. Are you sorrowful? Are you walking through a season of grief? Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend Lazarus when Lazarus had died. Are you struggling with depression? The dark night of the soul where it feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus was in so much anguish and turmoil in the Garden of Gethsemane that he literally started sweating blood. And on the cross, he lost all sense of the love of his Father, and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is nowhere that you will go that Jesus has not already been. And so you're not praying to a God who can't sympathize with you. You're not praying to a God who says, Gee, I sure wish I knew what that feels like. No, we can trust him, we can cling to him, we can know that he's good because he has truly been with us. He truly is one of us. And then finally, Jesus being God with us, it means that God gives himself to us and for us. The best way I've heard it put is like this. I'll, I'll personalize it to make it my own. Um, in seventh grade, I had a crush on this girl in my gym class, and uh, I was way too nervous to talk to her myself. And so I did what all courageous, manly men do at a point like that, and I had a friend ask her out for me. And so my friend uh, friended her on MySpace, and he sent her the MySpace message like, hey, do you like Ryan, and would you like to go out with him? Strangely enough, that wasn't enough of a red flag for her, and so she said yes. And so uh, we started dating. We were boyfriend and girlfriend, and it was quite the love story. Uh, we dated for an entire week. Uh, we were boyfriend and girlfriend. We never went anywhere or talked to each other in person, not even in gym class. Uh, we didn't call each other on the phone. We just texted each other. And uh, a few days into this whirlwind of a relationship, um, she told me that she loved me uh, over a text message, and so I did the same, and I told her I loved her too. Now, at the time, I did not know her last name, um, and so by the time you love somebody, it's a little bit too late to ask their last name. If you don't know it, you just got to roll with it, and so I did not ask her her last name, but I felt like, well, maybe, you know, I don't even know her last name. Maybe I rushed into this a little bit too much. Maybe this is going a little bit too fast. And so a few days after that, I broke up with her again over a text message. Um, like I said, quite the love story uh, that it was. Uh, so that happened in seventh grade. But in college, when I proposed to Braylon and then when I said my vows at our wedding, I did not have somebody else do that for me. I did not send somebody else to stand in for me. I did not have a friend get down on one knee and ask, hey, will you marry Ryan? No, why? What was the difference? Well, obviously some of the difference was me being young and dumb in seventh grade. Um, but I, on the other hand, I'd say the real difference is love. Because when you really love someone, you can't just send somebody else. You can't have somebody else stand in for you. Somebody else standing in for you wouldn't be good enough. 
Well, this is what's happening at Christmas. God so loved us that he didn't send a letter or a check or a middleman. He came himself to get us. God so wanted to have a relationship with us, so wanted to be close to us, that he came himself in the person of Jesus. He so wanted to be close to us that he bridged the gap and he closed the distance. This is the good news. It's so hard to believe that this is actually true, that God really loves us like this, but it's true. Jesus is God with us to save us. And when we couldn't make our way back up to him, he came down to us. Jesus has removed every barrier that would stand in the way of a relationship between you and God. So you don't have to be distant from God anymore. You can really know him and walk with him and talk with him. You can have intimate relationship with him where God, the God of the universe, is your friend. You can be brought into his family and know eternal life with him. That's the good news of Christmas. That's the good news of the gospel. And Jesus has opened up his arms to anybody who will turn from their sins and turn to him. You can have it if you'll come to him. And so let me pray that we would. God, thank you for your word that puts on display the truth of the gospel. God, thank you for the truth of the gospel that Matthew 1 shows us. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to live in our place and die in our place for our sins and rise from the dead to give us life with you forever. God, help us to believe it. It's so hard to believe. There's so many distractions and lies that we're we're encouraged to believe, to believe that you don't really love us, that you just put up with us and you bear with us. God, would you help us to see that that's not the truth? Would you help us to see that you came to get us and you came to bring us back to yourself? God, would we rest in this good news this week? Would you help us to, that Jesus, you are God with us to save us, that you've come to be our Savior and bring us back to God. God, for those in here who are not followers of Jesus, I pray that the truth of Christianity on display in this passage would cause them to reevaluate, would cause them to come to you and come out of slavery to sin. God, would you do that in all of our hearts in this moment as we respond to you? Would you encourage us afresh with the good news of the gospel? I pray that you would. In your name, amen.